This church is a little challenge to get around in today. You have to be on the on-deck circle over there, you know? And even then, you have to get through people. But, uh, so man, I got one that went out to the ladies. So, uh... Hear ye, hear... No, just... Looks pretty good. If you want to know what your wives are going to be up to, 10 bucks a pop, I'll let you know what that's going to be. But it looks like something special for the ladies. Well, God is good. And all the time? You know, um, I was at Mesa Grande a few weeks ago, and I had to go, I think, to get something to my daughter in her class. or For some reason, I had to go into her class and... I was trying to sneak in to not dis- disrupt the class, and I, I, I walked in, and I just kind of tried to get the teacher's attention. She saw my attention. Yes, you can, you know, see your daughter. And as I was just quietly trying to get over there, one of the sixth graders shouted out in the middle of class, God is good! <laughs> and I went, I've been seen, you know? And, I, and, you know, it caught me so off guard that I was speechless for a second. And, and I went, uh, all the time, <laughs> all the time. And then the rest of the class, not everybody, but some of them joined in, like, all the time, God is good. And I thought, isn't that great? Isn't that great that in the middle of the class, a sixth grader would just, God is good. And I said to myself, you know what? If, if by the grace of God, that's the only thing anybody remembers me about, I will be a happy man. I will be a happy man that we could remember that God is good all the time. I mean, look at Christmas. Isn't that what Christmas is about? That God is good. All the time, God is good. Well, sometimes I like to have fun with you about that, and, and I like to remind us of other things that show God's goodness. You know, God is forgiving all the time, right? God is loving all the time. God is compassionate all the time. God is with us all the time. Today, I want, to, I want to share a few other characteristics with you that speak to me about Christmas. And here's a few I want you to think about. God is determined all the time. God, God is unstoppable all the time. God is relentless all the time. God's love is untamable all the time. And one of my favorites, God is stubborn all the time. Christmas is about God's determination, about God's stubbornness, about God's relentlessness. I love Christmas, but I don't like shopping. Um, My wife is the one who gets to carry the load when it comes to shopping for Christmas. I told her I'll do all the shopping you want me to do online. I will do that till I'm blue in the face. I, I don't mind doing that. But going out, you know, it's like you almost have to be a masochist to like Christmas shopping. You know, some of you feel my pain. It's just kind of, oh, you know, go through all of that. Um, I, I, I go, I'm sorry, no respect. Somebody said, <laughs> I, I, to show you how little I go to the mall, I, I went to the mall one time, and, and, and uh, it wasn't during the Christmas season, and I went into the mall, and, and I said, something's missing. 
You know, something's just, it's like something's missing. And then I realized that the only time really that I go to the mall is at Christmas time. And so Santa wasn't there. There was no big house. There was no kids in line. There were no candy canes. I'm like, oh, this is what the mall looks like, you know, when it's, when it's not Christmas. But it reminded me of shopping when I was a kid. And my mother, uh, I know she's here, probably remembers some of this. Uh, maybe not. There's probably a lot she's probably tried to forget about my childhood. Um, but I remember one of the things that I loved to do, because shopping was boring until we went to the toy section. But I loved to hide in those clothing things. You know what I'm talking about? Do they, are they still round? They still make round ones? Okay. I don't, I don't get there too often, so I don't know if that's like back of my day or still. But they had these round ones. And, and of course, it was especially fun to hide in, when the ladies, you know, were shopping. Because I had three sisters and my mother. And so, you know, shopping was all about clothes. It was all about those things. So I had to make myself, you know, give some fun. So I would go into these, these clothing racks. And it was cool because it was like a little castle, you know, it was a little hiding place. And, and what was really cool is when somebody was looking for clothes and they opened it up and you, ah, you know, it's, <laughs> if you got to scream, it was a good day. So I would, I would play this game and I would go in these little clothing racks and, and then you try to go from one to the other without anybody seeing you. So you'd kind of look and then you'd get into another one and and uh, well one time I got so preoccupied with this that I didn't realize that my sister and my mom had, were no longer there. And so here I was and, and I came out and I'm like, Mom, you know, Carol, Lori, Susan, nobody's there. Now, I was pretty young and that fear came over me when you realize you're lost. You remember that? Maybe as a child, maybe you got lost at one point. And that, that fear, that kind of mild panic of I'm lost. No one here knows me. I don't know anybody. And everybody to you looks like a bad person because they're strangers, right? And I called out. Nobody was around. And I realized that I was lost, Scared to death. And so one of, the, um, one of the sales assistants or whatever they call them obviously saw that I was there lost because I was crying. <laughs> I was probably calling out mama or something. And they took me to where they take lost children. And they announced over the PA system, you know, that there's a child. But there as I sat in my lostness, if you will, I remember when you're lost, sometimes you just kind of have this feeling of doom. You'll never see your parents again. You'll never see your sisters again, although that didn't make me too unhappy in that moment. (laughs) At that stage of life, I love them now. They love me, I think. But um, just that I'm never going to see them again. You're lost in your lostness, this darkness. It's over. It's over. And when you're lost in your lostness, you don't think about the determination and stubbornness of love that's looking for you. Because you're just kind of lost in yourself in being lost. And little did I know, because I was so into myself of being lost, that my parents who loved me more than anything, and my sisters who, yeah, did love me, were looking for me. 
They were searching. They were calling out, where are you? John, where are you? John, they're calling out. They had people helping in the search to find me until they heard the announcements and they came and I realized I wasn't lost anymore, that I'd been found, that the love was so determined and so stubborn and so untamable that it would not quit until they found me. You know, the story of Christmas is about God's determined, unstoppable, relentless, untamable, stubborn love to find us. If we talk about Christmas, we can't just start with the baby because it started before the baby. It started with the same question that my parents called out to me with when I was lost back in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve had sinned and, and, and God cried out, where are you? Where, where are you? Where did you go? Why are you hiding? Where are you? And then it continues on after Adam and Eve. It goes on and God's trying to cry out to his people through leadership, through the judges. Where are you? Let me love you. Let me lead you. And it goes on and it gets, in, it gets into the kings. And through the kings, he cries out, where are you? Be with me. Why are you constantly wanting to be like these other nations and worship these other gods? Where are you? And so the scripture that I, I want to draw from today, from the book of Isaiah, is not always the typical passage for a Christmas season, although it is definitely part of the Christmas season. Typically, we will draw on Isaiah 9, unto you a virgin will be born, a baby will be born to the virgin. And chapter 9, you know, unto us a child is given, his name shall be wonderful counselor, right? Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But chapter 11 brings us to the turning point of the story. You see, as God was crying out, where are you, Adam and Eve? Where are you, my people? Where are you through the kings? There was no king who would seek God with his whole heart and do everything that God was calling him to do to bring people back to him. And Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah was constantly calling out to the kings to trust God. Quit trusting all these other superpowers. Keep, keep, stop trusting all these other things, your armies. Trust God. Isaiah means God saves. Only God can save you, people of God. But here in chapter 11... Ahaz was king around this time, and he was looking to Assyria for his strength. He was looking to Assyria to protect him and to keep him safe. He was willing to surrender to Assyria to keep him safe instead of God. And so, in chapter 11 of Isaiah, Isaiah describes God's people, God's leadership, like a stump of a tree, a tree that isn't flourishing, a tree that's not alive, a tree that has been dead at the stump. And Isaiah says in verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Do you hear and see the determination of God? Do you see the stubbornness of God's love. Judah, I know that you are a stump right now. 
You are nothing, but I'm up to something. In spite of your dead life, I myself am going to do something. I am going to shoot up from this stump of Jesse and from this root a branch will bear fruit. It's one of the things I love about God. When I, King Ahab, going back to King Ahab, chapter 7 of Isaiah, when King Ahab came to Isaiah and said, give me a sign that God is with me in this battle. Give me a sign. And he comes back and he says, you want your sign? God says he's going to give you a baby. A baby for war? I want chariots. I want men of strength. I want spears. I want something that can show me that I could beat these guys. And God says, you want a sign that I'm with you? I'm giving you a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. I love the way God operates. I love the fact that no matter what situation we are in in life, no matter what stump that we are focusing on or feeling lost in, God says, no, 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 no. There's a shoot. A shoot that's going to come out of this. When you're lost and feel your situation is a desperate one and you're lost in desolation, don't ever forget God's determination. God is determined. God is determined to love you, to find you, to seek you, to be with you. In chapter 11, he goes on and says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon this shoot, upon this branch. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is pointing to the Messiah. There is no king that ever walked the face of this earth besides Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who had fully the spirit of the Lord resting upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. On that day, Jesus stood and he cried out, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to preach the gospel. The kingdom of God is here. Repent. The spirit of the Lord was upon this branch, upon this shoot from the stump of Jesse. And it goes on and it describes Jesus' life and his ministry in such great detail in verse 3. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ lived for an audience of one. He lived solely for the Father. Whatever the Father says, whatever the Father does, that's what I do. I fear no man. And that's why he could speak the things that he spoke. That's why he could confront the people that he confronted. That's why he could make right the wrongs. That's why when he spoke, the people said, no one speaks with authority like this man. Because he lived solely for the fear of the Lord. He delighted in the fear of of the Lord. Was he afraid of the Father? No. He wasn't afraid. He just lived a life of full honor and reverence for God, his Father. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. All the conversations we see of Jesus in the Gospels, aren't you glad he saw what wasn't seen? 
He spoke the words that needed to be spoken. When he met the woman at the well, he saw what no one could see. When he spoke to the woman caught in adultery, he saw the things that no one could see. When he comes and he speaks into your life, he sees what no one can see. He speaks the things that we need to hear. Only Jesus, our Messiah, can do this. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The words of Jesus were so powerful. You know, sometimes we look at Jesus and say, oh, he was so meek and mild and and so peaceful. He was, but did he ever back down from an argument? Did he ever back down when someone was trying to take him on? No. Because he lived in the fear of God, he spoke to every person, no matter how harsh they were coming at him. Because he was a life that was about making right the wrongs. And that's why when it talks about judgment, some of us fear judgment. We, we think about the judgment, but we have nothing to fear because we have Jesus as our Messiah and of our God. But judgment, when God talks about judgment, he's coming and he's saying, I am going to take care of all the things that are wrong in this world. I'm going to take care of all the things, all the, all the abuse, all the things that people are being treated in violent ways, in wrong ways. Jesus is going to proclaim judgment on unrighteousness. And that's the pain we live in today, isn't it? All the wrongs that happen. All the things that happen in our lives and the world around us. Jesus is coming. The Messiah has come. The child has come to begin righting all the wrongs. To make it right. I love what uh, Will Williman, one of my favorite authors, wrote in a book called Why Jesus... He reminds us of what the shepherds heard, but he reminds us that it wasn't necessarily a nice, sweet thing that they heard. It was a a statement of power. He says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace is an almost direct quote from the prelude to Caesar's royal proclamations that were read in the marketplace in the occupied territories whenever the emperor wanted something done. Glory to Augustus Caesar, God in the highest, and on earth peace to those with whom he is well pleased. And he puts in parentheses, and presumably not peace on earth to those with whom Caesar is not pleased. You see what Luke is doing, he says? The angel's song is not only a birth announcement, it's a war chant. A proclamation announcing a change of government. There's a new king in town, and Caesar's rule is imperiled. Again, Isaiah The government is being placed upon the shoulders of a baby. There's a new king in town. And you shall call his name Jesus. Because he and only he can save his people from their sins. Yes, glory to God in the highest and peace to men. Peace because our God reigns. There is no peace unless God reigns. There is no peace unless God makes things right. When you hear Jesus on the mount in the Beatitudes, I want you to hear, I'm going to read a a new translation that just came out called the Kingdom New Testament, written by one of the top scholars in the world, N.T. Wright. 
And this is how he writes the Beatitudes. And I want you to hear this because growing up, I heard, I heard sermons that were about, here's the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you do this, then you get this reward. And if you do this, you get this reward. But I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was proclaiming blessings, blessings because he was now here. And because he was now here and the kingdom of God has now come, everything's different now. And this is what he says. Listen to Jesus. Blessings on the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessings on the mourners. You're going to be comforted. Blessings on the meek. You're going to inherit the earth. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Blessings on the merciful. You'll receive mercy yourselves. Blessings on the pure in heart. You will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers. You will be called God's children. Blessings on people who are persecuted because of God's way. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Do you hear Jesus? The king, the child now living, the prince of peace on the hill proclaiming goodness and happiness and blessings have come because I'm here. Blessings to you. You won't be sad forever. Blessings to you. You won't mourn forever. Blessings to you who are being persecuted. Blessings to you who are being abused and people in power are taking advantage of you because you will be comforted and you are now taken care of. I'm here to right all the wrongs. Wonderful counselor. You know, that term counselor is not someone we go to see for therapy, although he's a great therapist. That term counselor is actually a military term. It means someone who strategizes for war. He is a wonderful counselor. He has strategized how to win this thing that we are in. And it's strange because he works through the baby. But even though this book is not one we talk about at Christmas, the book of Revelation shows us that the baby finishes as a triumphant king. That Christ child came and he will slay the serpent. He will slay the dragon. Satan will no longer have final word over our lives here on earth. Because Jesus has come and he's making everything right. This is our God. This is our God who's determined. This is our God who is unstoppable. This is our God who is stubborn. That out of a stump will come a branch. That God, through Jesus Christ, through the Christ child, will reign again. Following these verses in the next three or four verses, we see the final outcome of what happens because our Christ child has come and has been relentless in his love for us, in his birth, in his death, in his resurrection. And from verses 6 through 9, we have verses that we like to associate with heaven. But it's this wonderful picture of what happens when God's relentless love reigns forever. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, <coughs> and the young child put his hand <coughs> into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full. Listen to this. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, though there was a stump, 
God determined, shot through the stump in the Christ child. Imagine from this prophecy in chapter 11, Isaiah, to Christ's birth was about 600 years. Can you imagine waiting 600 years for Jesus to come? I think you can. Isn't that the question we ask all the time? How long, Lord? How long? Come on, I'm 90 years old now. I thought you would have come by now. 600 years. And a baby comes. The shoot comes through the stump. A baby, a sign that God is with us in battle. The war chant. Glory to God in the highest. There's a new king in town. And you can live under his reign. Now and into eternity. And eventually it will come a point. These pictures of the animals, of the child, people who are safe, who will never be preyed upon by the abuse of power, who will never be manipulated, controlled in horrible ways because they're safe under the reign of God forever. This is our God, people. This is our God that is determined to love us, to save us, who is stubborn and will not give up, even when it looks like all hope is gone, even when it looks like you're lost in your lostness and you're totally focused on being lost and the problem and you forget that God's love is determined and he will shoot through your way. He will break through. Our God will reign. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your stubbornness. Thank you for your determination. Thank you that your love is untamable and relentless. Thank you for this Christmas season that comes around every year to remind us. It reminds us that though there is a stump, you found a way. No matter what the condition was, no matter what the condition will be, you will find a way. You will never quit. You will never quit until you get us home with you. I want to invite you at this moment to take a, just a moment in silent prayer to allow yourself to be embraced by the determined, stubborn love of your God. And now as we go, may we go not being lost in desolation or desperation, but always remembering the determined, stubborn, unstoppable love of God for you. And as you go, may you join God in being stubborn, determined, unstoppable in your love for his people. God bless you. Amen.